Welcome to episode 168 of the Introvert Entrepreneur Podcast. I'm Beth Bilo, and I really appreciate that you have chosen to spend this time with me and my guest. To start out, I wouldn't quite say that portions of this episode get heavy, but we do touch on an important topic that we've not talked a lot about on this podcast. Society has always been quick to label the introverted person as shy. We know that the two traits can overlap, but they are not interchangeable. Because of the extrovert expectations that people put on themselves and others, there's another label that is sometimes misapplied, loneliness, and by extension, depression. A desire to be alone might be just that and nothing more. Introverts crave that alone time so that we can recharge our batteries and catch our breath after lots of social interaction or in preparation for a busy day. To those who don't need that alone time on a regular basis, they might see being alone as the same as being lonely, which to them is depressing. In fact, there have been a recent surge of articles lately about the dangers of loneliness on our mental and physical health. The loudest message we often get is, if you're alone, you're lonely, even though that might be the furthest thing from the truth. But what if you are lonely, or depressed, or anxious? Just as I think it would be painful to be a shy extrovert, because you need people but fear reaching out, it is painful to be a depressed or anxious introvert. I say is, because I can somewhat identify with that state of being. As I mentioned in this episode, I've been taking an antidepressant as well as engaging in off-and-on therapy for 20 years now as a remedy for mild to moderate depression. If you're listening and saying, yep, that's me too, then please keep listening after the interview segment. And keep listening if it's someone you know, because I'm going to share just a few thoughts on my experience and ideas for coping, and I hope you'll stick around for that. Well, if that doesn't make you excited for this interview, I don't know what would. And actually, we talk a little bit about it, but we also talk about many other things. And I am so pleased to welcome my guest today, Maura Ahrens Mealy. She is the author of Hiding in the Bathroom, A Roadmap to Getting Out There When You'd Rather Stay Home. Maura is the founder of award-winning social impact agency, Women Online. She hosts the podcast Hiding in the Bathroom and created the influencer network, The Mission List. She was founding political director for blogher.com and has written for the Harvard Business Review, Fast Company, O, The Oprah Magazine, Forbes, The Wall Street Journal, The New York Times, and The Guardian. Aaron's Mealy is a graduate of Brown University and the Harvard Kennedy School and lives in Boston, Massachusetts. You'll find Mora's full bio as well as links to information on how to connect with her on the episode webpage at theintrovertentrepreneur.com slash podcast. Hi, Mora. Welcome to the Introvert Entrepreneur Podcast. I am so happy to be talking with you on this beautiful summer day. Hey, Beth. <laughs> Me too. Well, what is making you smile today? You know, I was on a business trip this weekend to New Orleans, and I'm always happy to be home. I love to be home. <laughs> so mm -hmm. that's making me smile. Mm -hmm. And where is home? home? Home is right outside Boston. Excellent. I've never been to Boston, but I have a feeling that I would really love it. So much history and personality. <laughs> 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 and bad weather, but that's okay. And, oh, that's okay. You, you got to take the whole picture, you know. Yes. So welcome home. Thank you. <laughs> well, to give our listeners some context as we jump into our conversation, I'd like for them to get to know you a little bit through this introvert-extrovert question. 
Where do you fall on that introvert extrovert spectrum? And how has that awareness influenced your path? You know, I was very late to understanding that I was an introvert. Uh, I think if you had asked me even five or six years ago, you know, was I an introvert or an extrovert, I would have said, oh my gosh, I'm an extrovert. And I I Mm -hmm. sort of always gamed my Myers-Briggs tests because (laughs) it never occurred to me that it would be okay to be an introvert. So I always tell people that one of the best moments in my life was when I realized I was an introvert because I was always just really sad and depressed and uncomfortable and acting out and quitting jobs and drinking Mm -hmm. too much at parties to try to survive it. And once I realized, oh my gosh, I'm an introvert, it was like I had permission. Yeah. And my whole life changed. So I'm really introverted, but I'm tricky because I'm really chatty. I love public speaking. I'm kind of loud. I take up a lot of space. And so I don't fit in that sort of quiet and shy stereotype of an introvert. But that is why I think it's so important for people like me to talk about the fact that we're introverts. Absolutely. I bet you meet with people all the time. And and if they are meeting with you and they know about this introvert quality, after about 10 minutes of talking with you, or even probably about five minutes, they're like, I just, I don't believe it. They tell me I'm lying. They're like, this yeah. is just, this is just a shtick for you to make money. I'm like, A, <laughs> I wish. <laughs> and B, no. Right, right. Yeah. And it, it is important to help um, break that that stereotype. And, and I mean, the truth is, you know, there's that spectrum where it, the introversion embraces both the quiet and shy and the louder and energetic. Um, mm-hmm. And and we, we fall anywhere on that continuum and that it's really about our energy, mm-hmm. you know, totally, and how we gain and drain that. And the more people understand that, I love that you said, you know, that was one of the best moments of your life, because it is, it's like this light bulb of like, oh, I, I can be who I really am, you know, and it's okay. And it's okay. And, and I always say to young, young people, especially people who are um, caught in that mix of feeling like they have to be always on at work and mm-hmm. always on socially, that, you know, there will come a moment when they realize it's okay to be who they are, and it will be amazing, you know. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, in your book, you start by sharing some insights about your life as what you called an unhappy overachiever. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about that early journey and how your definition of success and even maybe even more importantly, how your relationship to yourself has evolved. Well, you know, like I said, I acted out my feelings and my my sense that something wasn't fitting and that I was, you know, outwardly if not perfect, pretty damn close, but inwardly clinically depressed, Mm -hmm. suffering panic anxiety and crying in the bathroom every day at work. And I was raised, and I think that a lot of women especially, although men too might relate to this, where I'm a very privileged person. I was sent to great schools. I was raised with a lot of expectations of excellence. Mm -hmm. But that also can cost a lot because what I did was I sought the external pat on the back. You know, Mm -hmm. when I got an A or I captained the team or I, you know, did X, Y, and Z, the moment for me that it all clicked was I I ran for president of my high school because I felt like I should. Mm -hmm. And the moment I actually won and realized, 
oh my God, I don't want to do this. I'm terrified. I have no plan. I don't actually want to be this person, but it's just what I was expected to be because I'm the leader. Mm-hmm was sort of the first clue. I wish I had clued in then when I was 17 and not when I was 35, but oh well. So I was caught sort of on this hamster wheel of being very smart, very ambitious and learning to perform when temperamentally and internally, I'm not sure that's who I am, Mm -hmm. you know, although I am very ambitious, but I I needed to figure out how to do it on my own terms. And so how it manifested was really in anxiety and depression and a lot of bad habits, like spending too much and drinking too much and, and really acting out. And so what I try to talk about now is if you are a person who needs more quiet, who needs more control over their time and their pace and their place and their space, mm-hmm. you got to get off that hamster wheel and figure out what's going to work for you and figure out how to let people in your life down because they aren't going to like it. Right. Because it's their, you're not matching their expectations of you. No. And, and also, you may not be matching your own expectations of you. Right. And sometimes we have to look inward and say, like, okay, are these my expectations? Or are they expectations I've absorbed from others that I've mm-hmm. adopted as my own? But are they really, you know, <laughs> you just keep peeling that back. You and know? that's where therapy is very useful. Exactly. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Thank goodness for the therapist. Yes. <laughs> so I'm curious, how did you navigate that time as your class president, if you had that awareness? Badly. <laughs> you know, I was a terrible class president. Actually, you know, to this day, I remember... I remember one of the teachers saying, man, this is a bad year. <laughs> now, in retrospect, I wish he had said, gosh, Maura could use some mentorship. Maybe yeah. I'll help her. Yeah. But no one did. They sort of hung me out to dry. And that happened over and over again in my career because I had this pattern where I'd go for it, but I wasn't emotionally ready or even skills-wise ready. Mm-hmm. And so I just kept quitting and leaving and crying. And so I had to learn the hard way. And it all sort of came to a head when, when I was about 30. And I just finally quit my last corporate job because I was so depressed. I could not get out of bed mm-hmm. and went to graduate school to do something totally different because I thought that was the key. Mm-hmm. And then what happened was I had to earn money. So I ended up freelancing. And I freelanced in the field that I had been working in for many years and hating. Once I started freelancing, I had this aha moment. And that's when my life changed because I realized I love my work. I just hated how I had to do it. Yeah. Well, you use that phrase, space, place, and... and, um, Pace, yeah. Pace, yes. And when you're freelancing or entrepreneur or whatever it is, you have a lot more control over all three of those elements. And that can make a huge difference in your relationship to the work that you're doing and the people you're doing it with and for. That's right. I'm allergic to fluorescent lights. They give me migraines. <laughs> yeah. I know it sounds... I get it. I get it. Right? I mean, a lot of people are. You know, it's funny. Now yeah. that I've been on book tour, and I'm sure you can relate to this, and just talking to so many people, fluorescent lights, wearing noise-canceling headphones just so you can get some quiet, mm-hmm. people leaning over your desk all day. You know, if you're a sensitive introvert, it's these seemingly small things 
that can make such a difference at work. Absolutely. Well, I want to talk about one aspect of your work, because I noticed in your bio, you've done a lot of work in the political arena and Mm -hmm. have probably encountered a lot of introverted politicians and activists. And usually we don't think introverts and politician together, but I've at least found in my experience and research that there are a number of them. And I know that, you know, given our, and I don't want to get into politics, but, you know, given our current climate, there are more people on all sides of the aisle who are saying, I need to be more involved. I need to, you know, be speaking out. And often they are introverts and they're trying to figure out how can I do that? So (laughs) what did you see in terms of successful navigation in what is presumably a very stressful and a very people-focused environment? Well, and and, and an environment where you're supposed to be emitting energy and connecting, right? I mean, you know, the, the rubber from the rubber chicken dinner to the coffee shop in Iowa, you know, to working the hustings, retail politics, right? We always think of Bill Clinton, right? The ultimate extrovert mm-hmm. who, you know, the legend was he, he just fed off energy so much that he couldn't even go to bed until <laughs> he had, exo- you know, he made his, his team play poker at 2 a.m. because he needed that connection. And we think of that as the ideal politician, much as we think of that extroverted character as the ideal leader right. and salesperson, which is toxic in its own way. And, you know, it's so funny you said that because I was reading an article about Barack Obama, who's a famous introvert. Mm -hmm. And um, it was kind of a critical article saying, where's Barack? Why has he disappeared? We need him. And my first thought was, it's because he's an introvert and he needs some space. Mm -hmm. I always got that sense about Obama. And of course, Hillary Clinton, too, you know, that it was a skill they had to learn, but that deeply, they were introverted and worked much better doing the work of governing and not the schmooze. But, you know, this season of my podcast, I have devoted to politics and to women, especially in politics. And it's a question I always ask them. Mm -hmm. And it's funny, a lot of them will admit to struggling. But the thing that I always think about as a digital strategist, because I'm a digital political strategist, I help people do work on the internet, is you don't have to do 10 rubber chicken dinners, Mm -hmm, right? mm -hmm. And this is why I love the internet so much. I think that modern politicking has actually, although it's, it's really hard on an introvert, there are ways that you can sort of, you could do a Facebook Live, right, instead mm-hmm. of going to six events. So I'm always interested in politicians and leaders who can sort of hack the system and manage their energy to get around it because it is exhausting. But the truth is, and you know this, that when you are mission-driven, Nothing will stop you. And that's why some of the most, you know, Amy, I'm sure you saw that Amy Schumer and Oprah did a great episode recently of Oprah's show, and they both admitted to hiding in the bathroom. It was like an amazing (laughs) moment of my life because, you know, that's like my my thing. Exactly. That's your phrase. (laughs) But, But what they said was that they've learned how to carve out the space for themselves. And I think that that is the work of the ambitious introvert. We have to learn how to carve out the space. Otherwise, we won't survive. Yeah, absolutely. And I just was watching a a video that's been circulating from a a woman in Texas, who's a veteran, and she... MJ Hager. Yes. And and I watched, (laughs) there was a USA Today article with a clip of her being interviewed by the local Fox affiliate. And she says right there, she says, "I'm, I'm such an introvert. So all of this attention is a little bit overwhelming. But... 
you know, I am so committed and driven and motivated by my message, by the cause. She used the word responsibility. And that's often something Mm -hmm. I talk about, especially when it comes to entrepreneurship. You know, if you have a gift, a skill, an expertise, a solution, you also have a responsibility because there are people out there that are looking for what you have to offer. And if you do not put that out there, then you're not doing a service to yourself or to them. Well, I mean, and this is it, Beth, and this is why I get so angry about how we portray success in leadership in this country and why I felt like I wanted to write my book and and why I'm so grateful for your work and others is that I have talked to so many people over the years who have dropped out or said, I can't Mm -hmm. because they're introverted, because they have anxiety, because they feel like they can't, because they need to sleep, they need time alone, they get nervous before they go up and work a rope line, whatever. And, you know, when all we see are these sort of like totemic, usually alpha males who never seem to get tired, (laughs) it's easy to think that you can't. And, And indeed, when I was a political staffer, I got that message too. Like if I didn't live at the office 24-7 and exhibit these, and I think really male tendencies, that I wasn't good enough. I couldn't cut it. And if I wasn't willing to play Machiavellian tactics to get ahead, I also couldn't cut it. And frankly, I call BS on that. And I'm so grateful for people like MJ Hagar who are willing to say like, this is hard for me, mm-hmm. but I believe in this. Yeah. Yeah, it gives the rest of us some courage and uh, inspiration for sure. And how did she have this level of notoriety? Of course, it was through her actions, the life choices she made and how she has dedicated herself to service. But it's through a video. (laughs) You know, it wasn't some great speech in front of thousands of people. It was a super well done political video. And, And so I appreciate that you are reminding us that we have to leverage all of the tools at our disposal. And yes, face-to-face is something that's important, you know, meeting community, actually shaking someone's hand and looking them in the eye. And we can pave the way for that through social media and more virtual platforms. 100%. Yeah, just makes it easier. I mean, you know, it's funny, you know, I've worked in, in online community for almost 20 years, and the best online community leaders that I've met are introverts who mm-hmm. feel that connection. And I think this is true of podcasting, too, which is why I love podcasting and blogging years before. You know, you feel the connection, but you sort of like the remove of the screen, yeah. and it's very much on your terms. And that's what's awesome about work today is that we we can control it to some level. Yeah, absolutely. You have a great phrase, hermit entrepreneur. (laughs) I trademarked it. (laughs) That's awesome. So how do I know if that's me? And how does understanding my hermit tendencies help me to be a happier entrepreneur? Well, first of all, let me say that being an introvert and being a hermit entrepreneur are different, right? Mm -hmm. There are so many introverts, a la Oprah, (laughs) and Warren Buffett, I mean, and, and Barack Obama and MJ Hagar, who go out and do incredible things Mm -hmm. and who are introverts, you know, they are not hermits, right? The term hermit entrepreneur, I mean, it's kind of tongue in cheek, like being a hermit, take it as you will. I think it's a great thing. Some people think it's a, you know, a weird, strange man who lives in the woods. (laughs) But being a hermit entrepreneur, in my definition, it's really a lifestyle choice. And it's saying that I need control 
over my, again, my time, my pace, my place, my space of work so much that I am willing to give up something in exchange. And I'm going to create a really intentional business. Mm -hmm. It might be smaller. It might be much more sort of managed growth instead of our rocket ship analogy, which we love so much. You know, I'm going to stay away from the entrepreneurship porn and the FOMO, the fear of missing out. And I am going to run a small business according to the vision that really sustains me and suits my life. And so, you know, you can be an introvert and go and start a gazillion dollar company, right? Right. You could probably, I don't know if you could be an extrovert and be a Herman entrepreneur. I doubt it. But being a Harvard entrepreneur is something that I wanted to introduce to people because there's a lot of us out there who sort of work in our home offices and um, run really profitable, really awesome small businesses and emerge when we need to because nothing, you know, you got to get out there Mm -hmm. and just use a bunch of strategies. I call them levers to grow in a sustainable way. Yeah. I remember early on in my coaching, I, I think it was before even the introvert entrepreneur someone shared a link with me about a woman who was a writer and she was in demand as a speaker and a coach and whatnot, but all of the communication was one way. (laughs) It was, (laughs) I mean, it was almost extreme hermit behavior where she didn't go out. She wasn't going to speak. No, I'm not going to do your workshop, you know, whatever. Um, It was purely all pushed out from her and she was still successful. It's like that became kind of her her shtick. Wow. That's <laughs> she's my hero. Or like I know. Ruth Bader Ginsburg said she has this great quote. She says, I'm busy for the next two years. Don't call me. <laughs> well, you know, and most of us can't be like that, right? right so right. so for me, you know, I gotta get out there and hustle. So I have this sort of thing where I do two days on, three days off in every week, or three days on, two days off where I will mm-hmm. be out there you know, for two days, I'll be, you know, I'm a consultant. So I travel, I have to go see clients, I do speeches, I got to go gin up business and remind people that I exist, you know. So I will be in my makeup and my grown up clothes and, and, you know, out there having lunch with people or traveling to see a client. And then the rest of the time, I'm at home in my yoga pants and in my home office, uh, working, you know, via all the ways that many of us can work now. And, you know, that works for me, it's taken me many years to get to the place. But I feel very lucky that I can spend the majority of my time alone Mm -hmm. in my home office, but also sort of feed my ambition and my soul and frankly, my bank account by getting out there when I need to. Yes, absolutely. Well, part of getting out there, sometimes people will talk about anxiety. So it's not even about introversion necessarily. There's just anxiety. Mm-hmm. And that's one thing that you you talk about. And sometimes the two are connected, but not always. What are some strategies for managing anxiety, especially when it comes to putting yourself out there and even the dreaded word selling? Right. I mean, there's all different kinds of anxiety. And one of the things that I think is important is not to minimize it. You know, I meet people who have elevator anxiety, who don't want to go through tunnels. Flying anxiety is incredibly common. I have it. I'm a panicked flyer. And if you are a consultant or a coach or you're on the road a lot, that's really hard, right? Mm -hmm. I take a lot of drugs. I mean, I am not proud of it, but I am a very, very Xanaxed out flyer because it's a trade-off that I've made to maintain my lifestyle. So the first is not to minimize your anxiety or think it's silly. Mm -hmm. You know, many of us obviously have performance anxiety and before we get up and present or speak, we have anxiety. 
you know, and that's situational and something that I think a lot of us overcome via practice. But for people who cope with anxiety every day, sometimes leaving the house is a challenge. And I never want to minimize that. And I never want people to think, A, that they can't and B, that it means they're less ambitious because the two aren't connected, you know. Mm -hmm. So the first is, is to understand your anxiety and to have a plan. I mean, you have to treat it. You have to sort of what I call, and this is thanks to my wonderful psychiatrist, Carol Birnbaum, build your day into manageable or bearable chunks. So Mm -hmm. for example, if something's making you extremely anxious, whether it's around travel or whether it's around performance at work or a meeting that's scaring you or a difficult conversation that you're scared to have, is to really rehearse that in your mind, practice it, have a plan, and then give yourself a reward after it's over, you know, to use sort of really cognitive behavioral therapy techniques mm-hmm. of building of building plans of building schedules of practicing of rehearsing of having you know a buddy if you can or someone to give you a pep talk you know to build in a lot of scaffolding because when you're an anxious person you need a lot more scaffolding than people who don't face anxiety just to get through your day you need a lot more sort of rigor in your schedule and it's funny one of the things that I'm working on right now is interviewing people and companies who are very open about this and it's hard to find Mm -hmm. you know but I have found several executives who have anxiety disorders and who share it with their team and build their team and strategies around that because you know we like to think that we leave our mental health at the door when we show up at work Mm -hmm. but of of course we don't. If you had a broken leg, you'd have to adjust your work day. (laughs) If you have an anxiety disorder, you do too. And so I think this is the next phase in diversity and inclusion. If anyone's out there and they want to share with me, come find me because it's hard to get people to talk about it. But I'm very, very big on being open about it and building it into your day through, through structure, through team, through practice. And through professional help when you need it. Yeah, and pharmaceutical help when you need it. Absolutely. I mean, there's no, absolutely. Is, there's no shame. No, there's not. And, and you know, I, I talk to people who are very big in business who will tell me off the record about their meds, about their crazy travel schedules because, you know, they too don't like to fly. So they have to arrive the night before a big meeting so they can sleep off their X, Y, and Z from the plane. But again, we have this sense that you cannot be successful mm-hmm. and be that. Yeah. And I'm just desperate for that to change because it's not true. Right. Sometimes for some of us, you can't be successful without it, you know, without that kind of support. That's right. I've been on Zoloft for I don't know, uh, 20 years, something like that. I tried mm-hmm. to go off of it and it was not a good experience. <laughs> um, and I just realized I went off it for, for personal reasons. It wasn't, a, you know, like a philosophical, I don't believe in this or, you know, anything like that. But it was just more thinking about my health and, and whatnot. So I just thought, I'm just going to give this a try. And I lasted a few months. And then I said, no, this isn't acceptable. <laughs> yeah. And once I, you know, resumed my treatment, then I, you know, experienced a pretty immediate elevation in my ability to focus and in my ability to just get things done and to be a happier person. 
And, and to do the work. Yeah. And to do the work. Yeah. And to be present for someone other than myself. And, and even I would say I wasn't able to be present for myself when I wasn't taking care of myself in that way. So I appreciate that you're bringing this to the fore because we do need to remove the stigma around how different people have different solutions to those issues, you know, the mental health issues that they have. Well, and the statistics are huge, right? And and the, yeah. and the other thing is, I have a great anecdote in my book from a woman named Christina Wallace, who's a very successful tech executive. And, you know, she has a very severe anxiety disorder triggered by, a, she had a really tough childhood. And one of the things that she does, because she works on teams, is she has sort of crafted an email that when she has started, she's a millennial, so she gets lots of new jobs. <laughs> so... Mm-hmm. She will tell her team, here's the deal with me. Here's some of my triggers. Mm-hmm. And if we're going to be working together like 12 hours a day in really close quarters, I want you to know this yeah. because I I want you to know the real me. And if you see me acting this way, it's not you. Here's what's happening. And what she says, and this is what's so amazing, is that it has made her such a wonderful manager and someone that people feel they can trust yes. and talk to honestly. I hear this over and over again. I also want to say that for me, I've come to realize that my anxiety, as much as it's a factor in my daily life and it's a pain in the ass, it's really a gift to me also because it helps me as an entrepreneur. It makes me hungry and that's a (laughs) controversial thing to say, but it, it drives me, but it also makes me very empathic and very tuned in, especially having social anxiety, you know, walking into a room and instantly trying to read the room. What do other people think? I mean, I have a lot of bad tapes in my head that I try to work through, but it helps me as a salesperson. So does being an introvert, frankly. I am very attuned to other people. I don't need to just talk and let them see how smart I am. I want to solve their problems and I want to know what's going on with them. Mm -hmm. And that is a secret weapon in business, but we never talk about it. Yeah, definitely. Well, thank you for sharing all of that, um, you know, and, and reminding us, you know, because I think that um, anyone listening, especially if they feel that level of anxiety that you're describing can take some comfort in uh, number one, I'm not alone. And number two, there are ways that I can use those levers, as you call them, to accomplish what I need to accomplish. You're so not alone. Just know that. Yeah. Well, I want to wrap up our conversation with a question that I ask all of my guests. And this is a trip to Introvert Island. I've waved a magic (laughs) wand, all expenses paid, three-week vacation to Introvert Island. And you can only take three books with you. What would you take with you and why? You know, it's funny. I was thinking about this. And I have big gaps in my classical reading growing up. I am actually trying to read Crime and Punishment by Dostoevsky. I would take three fat classic books. Definitely Crime and Punishment is another one. War and Peace is the other one. And I was trying to think about the third sort of author who who I've, I've woefully not read enough of. And I think it would be Shakespeare, honestly, or George Eliot. Mm -hmm. I haven't read the classics because Mm -hmm. I think that there's much to be learned in looking to the past, especially these days. And one of the things that I miss, I don't know about you and your audience, is the ability to pay attention for long periods of time, not interrupted by social media. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. And not interrupted by my own, you know, squirrel brain. Exactly. Um, (laughs) Or anxiety. Which I think is the fault of social media. (laughs) 
<laughs> yes, and and you know the thing is, is that when you have an anxious temperament, mm-hmm. the constant checking mm-hmm. fuels it. Yes, that's true. That's true. I've shared this story on here before. I think that. Um, a, a professional organizer named Debbie Rosemont. Um, I was listening in on one of her webinars, and she was talking about con- getting control of your email inbox. And she said, are you one of these people who's compulsively checking your email? You know, are you constantly hitting send, receive, send, receive, or refresh? <laughs> and she said, it's like each time you do that, it's like your brain is looking for that hit of um, endorphins and mm-hmm. dopamine and, you know, all those things that um, are positive reinforcers. And she said, it's like you're pulling the lever on a slot machine. Mm. And in you're hoping that you're going to get, you know, a, f- a whole row of cherries, you know, and, and to the point where even junk mail mm-hmm. gives you that little hit that keeps you going. And I just thought, oh, my gosh, that is so what happens. And so, so I can't even hit refresh on my email anymore without thinking slot machine. But, but you know, uh, but here's the thing. <laughs> I agree with that. But I also, as an entrepreneur, every time you hit refresh, it could either be one of two things. I mean, at least if you're me, a client yelling at you. Or a great piece of new business. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it is, I mean, I get it. It's, and especially if you work sort of alone as a hermit entrepreneur, it's your connection to the outside world. Yeah, it is. So those feelings are real. Yeah. And, and just to notice them and be compassionate with yourself. Yes. I think that's yes. the big, big thing. So Maura, what is the best way for people to connect with you and learn more about your book, Hiding in the Bathroom? Well, they can go to hidinginthebathroom.com. Easy enough. And, <laughs> at, Yes, very easy. Sign up for my newsletter. And um, you can also connect with me. I love Twitter, although I know it's toxic (laughs) and unhealthy. So you can find me at um, Mora A.M. M-O-R-R-A-A-M. Great. And we will include links to all of that in the episode show notes at theintrovertentrepreneur.com. So thank you so much, Maura. It was great fun uh, chatting with you. And you're making me think about this hermit entrepreneur. I'm, I'm grateful for the introduction of that phrase into my life, <laughs> as well as I, I think you've gifted us another framework in terms of thinking about place, pace, and space. I'm a big fan of, you know, alliteration and yes. <laughs> words that sound like it's easy to remember, right? But I think that there's good reflection points around each of those in reflecting on your introversion and or anxiety and or anything else that you feel like is a factor in how you are choosing to build a business or build a life. You know, looking at those things through those lenses can help bring some clarity, you know, and it might help you notice where things aren't working and where they could work better. That's exactly right. It's about regaining control. And and that's what we all want. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you very much. Now, are you relieved, you know, based on my intro that we didn't talk about anxiety and depression the whole time? I am glad that we covered a wide range of topics. And I'm also glad that that particular topic came up. It's important to talk about it, especially as introverts. My conversation with Maura made me reflect on what I've learned about living with depression as an introvert. Here are a few thoughts that I hope are useful to you. And before I go into those, just a couple of disclaimers. I'm not pretending that what I'm sharing here is a thorough treatment of the topic or that it's true for everyone who's had a similar experience. And while I'm a coach and have been trained to work with emotions, I'm not a counselor or a therapist, and none of this should be taken as medical or mental health advice. And finally, as it goes with anything that I share, you can use, lose, or adapt what I share as you see fit. 
The first thing that I've learned is that we have to learn about the difference between feeling lonely and feeling depressed. Here are a few points to get you started on that journey of learning about the differences. Depression will most likely affect you regardless of where you are or what you're doing. While loneliness is felt as a strong desire to be with and connect with others. If you're lonely, you're bound to feel restless and bored when you're alone. You could also feel lonely in the company of others if you're not making the meaningful deep connections that introverts love. That loneliness can be lessened by removing yourself from the superficial environment, reaching out to a good friend, or getting involved in an activity. And that's especially getting involved in an activity where you feel appreciated and valued for your contribution. Uh, We can feel lonely even with other people if we feel like we're not being seen and heard. Now, if you're depressed, you might often feel restlessness unmotivated, disconnected, unfocused, or like life in general is a slog. And it doesn't matter if you're alone or with people you care about or with strangers. If you think you might be depressed, and let me back up for a second and say that is in itself kind of a superficial definition. There is much more to diagnosing depression. And like I said, that is not my intention here. But if you have hints of what I'm describing, it's probably worth it to look a little bit deeper and explore for yourself what you're experiencing. And if you do think that you might be depressed, reach out for support. Maura and I talked about antidepressants, which might be just the answer you're looking for. I know it made a huge difference for me. But lifting the fog isn't accomplished just by popping a pill, much to the introvert's dismay. Talking to someone is a powerful supplement to taking an antidepressant. That person that you seek out could be a therapist or a counselor, a trusted and safe friend or family member, or it could be a group of relative strangers in a support group. Sometimes that might even be easier for us introverts um, because we don't have any history or future with those people. And in reality, most people feel honored when you trust them with your inner thoughts. We can think, as the person who's feeling that depression, oh, I don't want to be a downer, or I don't want to burden them with my problems, or they won't understand. These stories keep us from being vulnerable with people who care about us. They want to be there for us, just as we'd want to be there for them. Revealing the secrets of your soul isn't something that you're going to want to blurt out without any warning. But don't let waiting for the perfect time and place to share stop you from opening up. Let people in. You might be surprised at how much lighter you feel when you're not carrying that weight all by yourself. And as a side note, remember that even a healthy diet and exercise that you enjoy can make a difference in your overall outlook. So consider if those should be part of your mental health game plan. And I want to leave you with this thought that Maura and I touched on. There's no shame in getting a prescription, going to therapy, calling a hotline, or asking for help. The mainstream conversation has come a long way in bringing mental health issues to light and destigmatizing them. But we can still get in our own way. We can still get stuck in our own story loops that say, I'm fine, I can figure this out, or no one will want to hear this, or what I'm going through isn't as bad as what some people are. I'd feel silly or lame or weak telling anyone how I feel. Notice those story loops and challenge them, especially that last one. 
Depression is not a contest. You don't need to compare your depression with that of others to determine if you're worthy of support. If your mental state is keeping you from showing up fully in the world and sharing your energy and your gifts and your love, then it's critical to pay attention to that. Low-level constant depression can be as life-sucking as any other kind. Don't discount your feelings. Listen to them and share them. And I just made this connection as I was thinking about what I wanted to share with you. And in light of recent high-profile suicides and the tragic deaths that happen every day to people whose names we never hear in the news, I hope you'll make the choice to take care of yourself and to actively support someone that you see is struggling because the world needs you. Thank you so much for listening, especially if you've stayed with me here through my parting thoughts. If you'd like to connect with me, I welcome your emails at beth at the com, or you can use the short contact form on my website at theintrovertentrepreneur.com. If you enjoy this content, please consider leaving a review on iTunes and sharing the podcast with your family, friends, and colleagues. Thank you so much for joining me and Maura, and I hope that you took away useful information from the conversation. And as always, a big thank you to Paul Messing, my podcast producer. This is Beth Bilo of The Introvert Entrepreneur. It's been a wonderful pleasure and an honor to be sharing this time with you. And until we meet again, remember that success is an inside job.